Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. Thank you guys so much for joining me here today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every single Wednesday as well as upload the video version onto YouTube as well on Wednesdays and you're not going to want to miss it. Now, you guys, as you can tell, it is the very end of the month. It is the very end of January, which means this is the last unsolved case for the month. Now, if you remember a couple weeks back, I told you guys that for the next couple months, for the foreseeable future, I'm doing this little experiment where every single month we are dedicating each month to a different true crime category. And January was unsolved cases. And so because of that, since we are at the end of the month, this is going to be the last unsolved case for a little bit. So make sure you tune in next week to find out what February's true crime category is going to be. But as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the unsolved case of Mitrice Richardson. And this is one that I definitely knew that I wanted to cover in the unsolved cases month. It was one that I was not going to let slip by because this is such a frustrating and infuriating case. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you do know this case because it did get some publicity for how frustrating it is. And a lot of that frustration does come from feeling like Mitrice's death was entirely preventable and the entire case in and of itself, one thing after another, is just going to infuriate you. I really do believe that and I'm very interested to hear what you guys think about this case. I still don't really know where I stand on this case. All I know is that I just don't feel like Mitrice nor her case were given the care that it deserves. But again, I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Mitrice Richardson was born on April 30th, 1985 to her parents, Latisse and Michael. Now, Mitrice's parents were in high school when they became pregnant with her. So Mitrice was raised in her early childhood by her great-grandmother, Mildred, in Covina, California. Now, during Mitrice's early childhood years, her parents did split up and her mom went on to marry a new man named Larry. Now, growing up, Mitrice was described as being a ball of energy. She absolutely loved cheerleading. She loved dancing. And she really had this aura about her that made people gravitate towards her and want to be her friend. Mitrice grew up in Covina, California, which is where she went to high school at South Hills High School. And then after that, she went on to attend Cal State Fullerton, where she received a degree in psychology in 2008. Mitrice was actually the first person in her family to go to college, and during her senior year, she started interning for a psychologist named Dr. Rhonda Hampton. Dr. Hampton really took Mitrice under her wing and really acted as a mentor for her when the two met in 2007. Mitrice was an incredible student. She had a 4.0 GPA, and she graduated with honors in 2008. College was very much a period for growth for Mitrice, as it is for many people, She felt like a lot of things in her life were starting to fall into place, and it was also during college that Mitrice came out to her family as a lesbian, and her family was incredibly supportive. Mitrice always had a great relationship with her family. She was very close to them. She was very close to her dad, her mom, and their support really meant the world to her. 
After graduating from college, Maitree started working multiple jobs, including being a store clerk. She was also a go-go dancer at an LGBTQ plus club, and she was also doing her internship with Dr. Hampton. Along with that, Maitree was also thinking about going to graduate school, so that was something that was on her mind for the future. Now, Maitree did have a lot to look forward to in her future. Things were looking bright. She had a lot of great opportunities in store and ahead of her. However, none of that does not go without mentioning that Maitrese definitely struggled with some mental health struggles as well. According to Dr. Hampton, she claimed that while Maitrese was interning for her, there were several times that Dr. Hampton became concerned about Maitrese's behavior. Maitrese's friends also noticed some of this behavior too, and they basically described it as Maitrese just not acting like herself. She wasn't her normal, usual, bubbly self. She would go on these long rants and these long tangents on social media that just seemed to be unlike her normal behavior, and it made her friends and loved ones concerned. Now, after graduating from college, Maitrese moved back in with her great-grandmother, Mildred, and Mildred was 91 at the time of this, so this was really great for both of them because not only was Maitrese able to spend some time with her great-grandmother, just really have that quality bonding, but it was also great for Mildred because being 91, this meant that Maitrese could help around the house, just help with some things that were a little bit more challenging for Mildred to accomplish on her own. So all of this brings us to the night of September 16th, 2009. Now this particular night was a Wednesday and every single Wednesday, Mildred and Maitrese had this tradition of going out to dinner together every single Wednesday. That was their thing. That's what they did. However, this specific night on September 16th, Maitrese told Mildred that she had some other plans already set in place for this night and asked if the two of them could reschedule their dinner and Mildred agreed this was no big deal they could reschedule for another night now it's not entirely clear what Maitrese's secondary plans were however what we do know is that Maitrese left the apartment at approximately 5 p.m that night and headed towards Malibu to go to the beach now from where Maitrese lived Malibu was about a 40 mile drive now after arriving in Malibu Maitrese drove over to a restaurant called Joffrey's. And Joffrey's is a star-studded restaurant known for its ocean views and fine dining. And when Maitrese arrived to the restaurant, her behavior right from the very beginning seemed off. Now, Joffrey's only had valet parking, so when Maitrese pulled up her car to the valet, the valet driver told her that he needed to go and park the car in front of her, and then he would be right back to park her car, so to just wait there for him. Now, by the time the valet driver got back, Maitrese somehow had left her own car and went and sat in the valet driver's personal car. Now, the valet driver's personal car was nearby and unlocked at the the time. However, again, that's just not normal behavior to wait for the valet and instead go and sit in his car. It didn't really make a lot of sense. And when the valet driver asked Maitrese what she was doing and to get out of the car, Maitrese apparently just started going on this tangent. She started rambling and it didn't really make a lot of sense. And when the valet driver asked her to get out, according to him, Maitrese just started mumbling a series of words that didn't really make much sense. However, nonetheless, she did get out of his car 
car eventually and walked into the restaurant. Now, when Maitrese walked into the restaurant, there was a table of seven sitting in the dining area that Maitrese did not know. She did not know these people. However, for whatever reason, she pulled up a chair and sat with them. Upon sitting with them, these people said that Maitrese started talking about things that, again, weren't making a whole lot of sense. For example, she started talking about how she was going to avenge the death of Michael Jackson and how she was from the planet Mars. Now, while at the restaurant, Maitrese ordered a steak as well as a cocktail called an Ocean Breeze, which totaled out to be $89. When it came time for her to pay her bill, she made a statement saying that Mother Nature was going to take care of it, and obviously that did not hold up in this restaurant, so they kept asking her, to pay the bill. And after several times of asking and Maitrese is still not paying, that is when the restaurant staff decided to call the police and have them come and remove Maitrese. Now they did this for two reasons. First of all, Maitrese was not paying her bill. But second of all, the employees were worried about Maitrese's state of mind. They didn't want to send her off in her car, have her start driving because clearly there was something going on. And so that is when they decided to call the police. And I'm going to to play that 911 call for you right now. Lost Shore Station, Deputy Shalip, I can help you. Hi, I'm calling from Joffrey's restaurant in Malibu. Yeah. Um, we have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill, and we think she may, I mean, she sounds really crazy, she may be on drugs or something. Um, we are wondering if someone could come by and pick her up. So police arrive at the restaurant and they go up to Maitrese and they escort her out of the restaurant. And the first thing that they did is they gave her a sobriety test because they wanted to see what was really going on here. They wanted to see if Maitrese was under the influence. However, she ended up passing this sobriety test, which police were not expecting. Police then went on to ask Maitrese if she had ever been diagnosed with any mental illnesses or if she was on any medication, to which Maitrese said no. Now, at this point, point, police decided to search Maitrese's car, and that is when they found a very small amount of marijuana in the center console. It was actually less than an ounce, so a very, very small amount. However, nonetheless, this gave police the green light to go ahead and arrest Maitrese and take her to the Lost Hills Police Station. Now, when the arrest was made, it should be noted that the arresting officer never mentioned any of the odd behavior that Maitrese was displaying in his report. Now, Maitrese was actually only arrested for defrauding as well as possession of marijuana, and the public has criticized this case a lot when it comes to the police, however, in particular with her arrest, because they believe that the police should have 5150'd Maitrese instead of just arresting her and taking her to the police station. Now, if you are unaware, a 5150 occurs when a person who is arrested appears to be mentally unstable or appears as a danger to themselves or to others. And so in these cases, they will be sent to go under a 72-hour watch for a psychiatric evaluation. And that did not happen in Maitrese's case, which again, everyone was very confused about the public being everyone, because in this case, it is very clear that Maitrese is not acting like her normal self. And Maitrese passed the sobriety test. So this wasn't the case of her being overly intoxicated, just being really drunk. Something was definitely off here, which is what the public has criticized 
as police for. Now, after police and Maitrice got to the sheriff's department, Maitrice's mother, Latisse, ends up getting in contact with the Lost Hills police after hearing from Mildred about Maitrice's arrest. Now, when Maitrice was taken to the police station, she was given a phone call, and the only number that she knew by heart was Mildred's. So she calls Mildred's phone, and at this point, it's around 10 p.m., a little after that. And so Mildred, who is 91, is not going to be able to drive over to the Lost Hills Sheriff's Department. So instead, that is when Mildred calls Latisse. Now, Latisse at the time was at her house with her other daughter, who was much younger than Maitrice. I believe she was around 10 years old at this time. So this was not a case of Latisse being able to just get in her car and drive over. However, Latisse did call to get an update on her daughter. Now, when speaking to authorities, Latisse told them that Maitrice was not from this area. She did not know where she was. She was not able to get home. Her car had been towed and she did not want Maitrice being released without being there to pick her up. That was something she emphasized a lot to police. And I'm actually going to play that call for you right now. I am calling. I'm a little frazzled right now. I understand my daughter is being brought into the station. Maitrice Richardson, have they made it to the station yet? And she's been booked. Okay. Is, is, do you know where she's coming from? Uh, it's some restaurant out in Malibu, and I, I didn't even think to get the name. The okay, manager's yeah, name the is... Only, the only place we have somebody that's in custody that they just announced on the radio that they're coming up is from Joffrey's in Joffrey. the Highway. It's okay. the only female that's being brought up to the station as we speak. They actually just put it on the radio right before you call. Okay, okay. I'm I'm her mother, oh, okay. and are you guys going to book her and then release her on her own re- recognizance tonight because it, it's, it's dark, she doesn't have a car, and I don't want her wandering out. I'm, I'm totally just taken aback because this is so out of character for her, yeah. and you'll see when she comes in, she, she's well-spoken. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are going to release her tonight. Yeah. If, if going to be held in custody for some type of arraignment tomorrow, Mm -hmm. then I will wait until tomorrow. She definitely has no place, you know, I mean, she's not from that area, and I would hate to wake up to a morning report, lost somewhere with her head chopped off, Uh so I guess I would have to come and get her, oh my gosh. Now, as you can tell in this call, Latisse is asking police not to release her daughter, saying that she wants to be there to pick her up, really asking for updates. And at the very end, it is just very eerie, as you can hear that final claim of Latisse saying that she would hate to wake up and hear on the news that her daughter was found with her head chopped off. And it's just, again, a very eerie comment and very ironic when you see what ends up happening here. Latisse herself to this day claims that she doesn't know why she made that comment. However, she says that she will never forget making it. Now, as you can hear on this phone call between Latisse and the police, the police reassured her that Maitrice was not going to be released until later in the morning on the 17th and that Latisse could come and pick her up later that morning. So with this reassurance and with this confirmation, you can imagine Latisse's confusion and frustration when she called back at 4.30 in the morning on the 17th to to learn that Maitrice had already been released. Police went on to tell Latisse that they actually released her daughter on September 17th at approximately 12.28 a.m., so just right after midnight, and also that was about 30 minutes 
after the phone call that Latisse made to police. Now, this automatically made Maitrice's family livid because, again, police reassured her that she was not going to be released until later. So not only were they livid at the police for basically lying to their faces and telling them one thing, but then doing the complete opposite, but they were also terrified. Maitrice was released into an area that she was not familiar with. She didn't have her phone. She didn't have her wallet. She didn't have her car. She had no way of getting anywhere. Now, after Maitrice's arrest, her car got towed to an impound lot. So again, she did not have her car. She didn't have any of her belongings with her. She was simply walking around Malibu by herself without knowing anyone and without knowing the area. Now, while Malibu is a very nice area, there are some dangers to it as well. And if you don't know the area well enough, you could end up taking a wrong turn and you can find yourself in the canyon where there's no streetlights and it's just very, very dangerous. There's a lot of windy roads roads and a lot of blind spots. And again, just all in all, no one ever wants to be somewhere where they don't know where they're going and they don't have any of their belongings. That's not a position that anyone wants to ever be in. Now, an hour after that call at 4.30 a.m., this is now 5.30 a.m., Latisse calls the police station again and asks them how long she has to wait to file a missing persons report for someone. Now, again, this is an hour after learning that Maitrice had been released at around 12.30. So she calls police back at 5.30 asking, when can I file a missing persons report? And that is when they tell her that she needs to wait 24 hours to file that report. So again, that's at 5.30. She hangs up the phone. Then another hour later at 6.30 in the morning, there is a man named Bill Smith who lived in Malibu and he called police to report a trespasser in his backyard. Now, when asked to give a description of the person in his backyard, backyard, he pretty much described Maitrice's physical appearance to a T. Now, Bill Smith lived about six to eight miles away from the police station, and according to him, he said that he woke up and looked outside his back window and saw a woman in his yard just seemingly hanging out. He said that she was sprawled out on the wooden steps in the back of his house, and he claimed that he opened his window and asked if the woman was all right, to which the woman replied back that she was quote-unquote quote, just resting. Now, what's frustrating here is that because Latisse was not able to file a missing persons report for her daughter, she was told that she couldn't do that for 24 hours, the police did not know to be looking for Maitrice at that time. So when they get this call from Bill Smith at 6.30 in the morning, they don't know that it could possibly be this missing woman that was just reported and released earlier that night. So because they did not know to look for her at the time, the people pieces weren't connecting. Police did not know, hey, the woman in the backyard at Bill Smith's house could possibly be this woman that we're looking for. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments 
Stamps.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, starting from the very beginning of this case, when Maitrice got arrested all the way until up until when the missing persons report was filed, all the way up until where we are now in this case, there has been a lot of criticism towards police from the public and Maitrice's family as to how the police have conducted this investigation. It just feels like there really is a lack of initiative on their part in this investigation. Now, a couple days after the missing persons report was filed, there was a search conducted through through Cold Canyon and Montanito, which is where Bill Smith's home was. And this was supposed to be a two-day, full-on, very thorough investigation and very thorough search. However, this two-day search turned into a one-day search because they had brought in search dogs that did pick up Mitrice's scent in Bill Smith's yard, as well as in the surrounding area. However, the search was put on pause when one of the search dogs got overheated, so the search came to a stand. And still. So once the case was turned over, the LAPD decided to go to Mitrice's car, which was still in the impound lot, and see if they could find anything there. Now, firstly, when opening the car, they found Mitrice's cell phone, they found her wallet, all of her personal belongings, and they also found a lot of journals in the car that only fed into this theory that Mitrice was struggling mentally. In these journals, there were pages and pages of writing that just didn't make a whole lot of sense and police actually chalked it up to Mitrice not getting a lot of sleep the night prior. So that was their theory about the whole thing, not that Mitrice could be struggling mentally or maybe she was going through some sort of manic episode, but instead it was just because she didn't get enough sleep the night before and that's why she was writing all of these things in these journals. Now it was also at this point during the investigation that the LAPD psychologist looked into this case and concluded that Mitrice Trace's behavior could have been indicative of bipolar disorder. However, there was nothing really said after that. Now, at this point in the investigation, Latisse had asked to see the surveillance footage of Mitrice leaving the station on the night that she was released because she wanted to see her daughter's mental state. She wanted to see what direction Mitrice was going in or really if there was anything that could help see where Mitrice went. However, the Lost Hills police said that they didn't have any camera footage of Mitrice, but it turns out that this was actually a lie because there were cameras outside of the police station and there was footage of Mitrice leaving the Lost Hills Sheriff's Department and shortly after she is seen walking out, there is a different deputy who also is seen leaving the building from another door shortly after and because of how close in time their exits were, detectives from the LAPD believed that Mitrice and this deputy could have potentially crossed paths at some point and they wanted to know who this deputy was and learn more about what exactly happened. Now, according to LAPD, this was very much 
much a struggle to get the name of this deputy. Lost Hills was not very quick to turn this name over. However, ultimately when they did, the LAPD learned that this specific deputy had been really just dropping someone off at Lost Hills Station after arresting someone on a traffic stop. And then 20 minutes after he is seen leaving the station again, he was documented conducting another traffic stop in a different area. So because of this, Lost Hills claimed that there was really no way that this specific deputy would have had any involvement with Maitrese because he was simply just there to drop someone off. He got back in his car and then he was recorded doing a different traffic stop about 20 minutes later. And this is really only further confirmed because we know that Maitrese was seen in Bill Smith's backyard at approximately 6.30 a.m. So when you think about it that way, it is very unlikely that this deputy would have had any interaction with Maitrese. Now, Maitrese's family and the community, the public, was really pushing police at this point in the investigation. They felt like police were not worried about Maitrese or what could have happened to her. They felt like because Maitrese was not white, that her and her case wasn't given the same amount of care and urgency that other cases would get. So the pressure was really on for police. And it was partially due to this pressure that about four months after Maitrese's disappearance, that there was a massive, massive search for Maitrese on January 9th, 2010. And this actually ended up being one of the largest searches in the sheriff's department's history. There were over 300 volunteers. There were helicopters, horses, search dogs, people on foot, and they covered about 18 square miles, which to give you a different perspective, is a little over 11,520 acres. They searched all through Malibu Canyon. However, regardless, Maitrese was not found. Now, there were many sightings of Maitrese after she went missing, and weirdly enough, a lot of these sightings happened in Vegas. There were many people in Vegas who claimed that they had seen Maitrese, and one of which was her own dad, Michael. Three weeks after the January 9th search, Michael was in Las Vegas sitting at a traffic light when he claimed that he saw a woman who looked identical to Maitrese cross the street in front of his car. Now, Michael claimed that when he saw this woman, he immediately jumped out of the car and started calling out his daughter's name. He was yelling, Maitrese. However, at this point, the specific woman had gotten lost in the crowd and he could not find her again. Now, based off of what Michael claimed that he saw, he believed that Maitrese at that point could have been working as a sex worker in Vegas. Now, there was another high school friend of Maitrese's who claimed that he also saw Maitrese in Vegas one night. He claimed that he was at a casino with some of his friends when he he saw a woman who looked identical to Maitrese. And when he started calling out her name, the woman quickly turned around and ran away from him. So at this point, because of these two potential sightings, the LAPD went to Las Vegas themselves to search for Maitrese. And in doing so, they spoke to over about 70 different people who claimed that they had seen Maitrese and claimed that she did look familiar. And while this did seem like a potential promising lead because police now had all these people who said that they've either seen my trees or that she looks familiar or maybe they know her you know that is promising to them however ultimately there was no other evidence to prove that my trees was ever there 
So this ultimately brings us to Sunday, August 9th, 2010 at approximately 1 p.m. At this time, the Malibu State Rangers were hiking down Dark Canyon, and this is only a few miles away from Bill Smith's backyard, and it is a remote location on the east side of Montanito. Now, the reason that the Rangers were down there to begin with was because this specific area had been reported to have been doing a lot of illegal growing of marijuana, so that is why the Rangers were going to check it out. However, when they got there, they saw something far more horrifying. While hiking, the rangers discovered several articles of clothing in the nearby creek area. They initially saw a red leather strap and then a black bra that was partially covered with sticks and leaves and different debris, and then finally a pair of blue jeans that was also covered in debris. However, ultimately, they left these items behind and continued walking until they came across a human skull. The skull was lying among debris and the ranger also saw dark curly hair nearby. Now they didn't only just find a skull, there was a skull that was detached from the rest of the body. So the skull was detached and there were also other bones as well, including a leg bone. Now through dental records, it was revealed that the remains found did in fact belong to Maitrese Richardson. Now the process of collecting these skeletal remains and what happened next in the investigation really is one big mess. Immediately upon finding the skeletal remains, the rangers contacted police who arrived via helicopter on the scene shortly after because it was very difficult to get to this one place that the rangers were. This was a specific area where really you would only know to go there if you knew about this area. This was not an area that you would just stumble upon. It was very particular. Now, police arrived via helicopter and and when they got there, they saw the human skull as well as a pelvic bone and a leg bone lying among the debris. Now, after finding the remains, the police had contacted the coroner department who had sent a team to recover the remains, but the coroner team needed to be airlifted as well. But at this point, it was getting later in the day, the sun was setting, and they decided that it would not be safe to have the helicopter fly in the conditions of that area. And along with that, the helicopter had very limited fuel on board and so because of that the police made the decision themselves to remove the remains without the coroner team now this is when things get very he said she said because according to the LAPD they claimed that they did in fact get permission from the coroner to remove the remains however the coroner claims that they never gave police permission to do this so again there's been a lot of back and forth in regards to this now, if that is correct, that the coroner did not give permission and police just went ahead and did that anyway, that is a violation against a state penal code in California. Typically, in any homicide case, when finding remains, you have the coroner team come out and collect those remains. That way, they can take them back to the medical examiner's office. The coroner team is specifically and specially trained in doing this. They know how to collect remains and maintain as much DNA as possible. And not saying that police don't know how to do this, but again, there is a team designed specifically for that reason. Now, once the three remains, the skull, the pelvic bone, and the leg were
were removed, police discovered more remains and they moved them to a plastic sheet inside of a body bag. And the following day on the 10th is when the coroner team was finally able to get to the remains site. However, because the remains were removed and it wasn't properly marked, the coroner team wasn't able to locate where exactly the remains were found. So because of that, they were unable to precisely locate the scene. Now, in regards to the clothes that were found, police also took these along with the skeletal remains and everything was handed over to the coroner. However, the coroner had then given the clothing to Mitrice's family shortly after receiving it. Now, the time frame on when they gave the clothing to her family is not completely clear because right after her remains were discovered, Latisse did a press conference and claimed that she was not allowed to see the clothes and that she wanted to see the clothes. So the clothes were eventually given to her. However, when is not entirely clear. But what we do know is that once police learned that the clothes were given to Mitrice's family, they were not happy about this because they never gave the coroner authorization to do that. So they had to go back to Mitrice's family and recover the clothing after the fact. So again, there was just a lot of confusion when it came to collecting the remains, collecting the clothes. It was just one big mess. Now, in terms of the autopsy, the medical examiner was not able to indicate a cause of death because of the the state of decomposition that the remains were in. The remains at this point were skeletal. However, the medical examiner did say that there was no evidence of trauma. Now, I do want to mention that there were several bones that were not accounted for when it came to the remains. These bones included a hyoid bone, one twelfth rib, a vertebrae, C4 to T2, a xiphoid process, a coccyx, five carpal bones on the right hand, and multiple phalangeal bones. So those bones were not recovered. However, again, the coroner team couldn't locate the remains site the following day. So who knows what would have happened if they were able to do that. Now, when it came to the theories on what police believe could have happened to my trees, they are not quick to point to foul play. And in fact, they believe that there was no foul play in regards to my death. According to them, even though the cause of death has not been determined, their main theory is that my trees could have died from anaphylactic shock from poison oak. Another theory is that Mitrice could have gotten bitten by a rattlesnake, which if that were the case, she would have been one out of two people a year who die in California from a rattlesnake bite. But again, that doesn't necessarily explain why her clothes would be off. Police believe that animals could have been the result of the missing clothing and her clothes being off of her. But the clothing that was recovered wasn't ripped to shreds. It didn't seem to have gone through any sort of fight. There wasn't a lot of, you know, wear and tear on them in terms of like an animal ripped them off of her. It didn't seem to be the state that they were in. So it doesn't really make sense to believe that they were the cause of an animal. So again, those are just a couple theories that the police have thrown out there. But again, there isn't enough evidence out there to prove, was this a matter of foul play? Was there no foul play? Was this a homicide? What happened to my trees? There just isn't enough information out there to make a conclusion. Now, my family did sue the county and received a settlement of 900 
$300,000 in 2011. And the latest update we do have in this case was that in December of 2023, so just a little over a month ago, the reward was doubled to $20,000 for any information that could lead to what happened to my trees that night. But again, you guys, that is where we stand in this case. That is what we know about what happened to my trees. And it's such little information. I know it's so frustrating with these unsolved cases, trying to piece together what exactly happened. Again, I don't fully know where I lie on this case. I don't know if I necessarily believe that my Teresa's case was a result of foul play or if it was a homicide. However, I do believe that there was a lot of negligence in my Teresa's case that I believe for a fact. I believe that a lot of what happened in my Teresa's case was entirely preventable, but I am very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case. So please let me know in the comments below. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. Again, make sure you tune in to next week's episode so you learn what February's true crime category is. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys. Thank you.